Hi there, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Smashing the Ceiling with me, Naomi Mella. On this podcast, we love to showcase the lives of women who have achieved amazing things in their careers, those who've got a really cool or unusual job, and some who have just had a really interesting life. If you're looking for inspiration for your career, if you feel a little stuck or bored with what you're doing right now, or if you're in search of the road less traveled job-wise, then this is the podcast for you. Each week, I sit down with one woman to dig a little deeper into the how of it all. How did they get where they are? How did they pick themselves up when things didn't go right? And how their mentors, mistakes and motivations have led them to achieve the things they have. My guest today is Josephine Anselin, a woman whose career is as varied as it is interesting. And if you love travel, well, she's a pretty cool guest. After a childhood living in various European countries, Josephine moved from her home in Luxembourg to study engineering in the UK. Despite wanting to work in the sports and design engineering sector, she somehow subsequently ended up on a remote platform in the middle of the North Sea as an oil and gas engineer. Having quit her job several years later, she then hiked the length of New Zealand alone, took a job in strategy consulting on her return, and is currently living in Jakarta, Indonesia, from where she completed an MBA in Spain, and where she runs her own business, OutVenture Hub, of which more later. The world is truly a global village these days, and I couldn't wait to talk to Josephine about her experiences as a female engineer, about what it's like on the platform, and about how she now manages her work remotely around her love of adventure sports and the outdoors. We started by chatting about her life in Jakarta and how she came to be in Indonesia. So um, we've been in Indonesia with my husband since uh, like end of November 2017. So it's going to be almost like, yeah, like it, over a year and a half or so. So, um, so it's basically because he, um, so my husband works um, in an oil company. So he works where I used to work because we, we met at work. <laughs> Not very romantic, but uh, basically, he, um, you know, the company he works for, they have it's a, you know, they have uh, offices kind of all around the world, and they had a, a project in Indonesia where they needed people with certain skills that they didn't have locally, so they got some engineers from from the UK, and so he was asked if he wanted to come here for, it's it's for like a three year project, so. Um, so yeah, that, that's why we're here, basically. Indonesia, I don't know if you've ever been, but it's, it's such an amazing country because like before we moved here, I had no idea about Indonesia. Like All I knew was kind of like Bali. And Bali is actually it's such a small part of Indonesia and it's actually very different from the rest because it's very touristy. Um, like the rest of Indonesia, it's... Um, so Indonesia, you know, it's made out of hundreds of islands and it's not actually that long ago that it became one country. Before, like it was just loads of different islands so every island's got a very different culture so whenever you go to a different island you it feels like you're in a different country and yeah people are like really really friendly and like the nature here is amazing you know there's loads of volcanoes so there's loads of stuff to do like outdoors so you know Jakarta is kind of like a super busy like city and so initially like the first few months I found it quite hard but then you kind of find you know, as you get to know the city, you find places that you can go to that you like. And you also find out about places just outside the city where you can go. And yeah, I think it's like any any place. I mean, you make it's whatever you make of it. You know, I'm enjoying it. So it's good. <laughs> good. So we've talked a little bit already about Indonesia, but shall we start a little bit further back about where did you grow up? And tell me about your kind of school and education life and that sort of thing. So uh, I was born in, in France uh, near Paris and um, when, I, when I was about two or three we moved to Germany because of my, my dad's job. So I went to kindergarten in Germany and um, after that we moved to Luxembourg uh, which is for people who don't know just a very small country between Germany, Luxembourg and France and uh, yeah we went to primary school and secondary school in Luxembourg and um, yeah, uh, school was, um, it, it was interesting because, because I'd been kind of, you know, moving quite a bit when I was a, when I was a kid, I always kind of felt, I think I always felt a little bit different from other kids, but, um, but yeah, it didn't, it didn't bother me, but it's just something 
probably not not even something I noticed at the time, but something I've I've reflected on afterwards. And um, I wasn't really one of those children who had a very defined idea on what they wanted to be when they grew up. You know, I went through loads of different phases and I wanted to be, at one point, I wanted to be a ballerina, then a magazine editor. <laughs> then I had a phase where I wanted to be a detective, then a PE teacher. So yeah, I just always have loads, had loads of many, uh, loads of different interests. And I think I always had a drive to, to constantly try new things. But, um, but yeah, but one thing that has remained constant throughout like my childhood and and throughout my life basically has been my passion for sports and for the outdoors. And, um, yeah, when I was growing up, I was always a very active kid and always loved getting involved in all the school kind of sports activities and spending loads of time outdoors. And then after, after school, I then, uh, went to university in the UK where I studied, uh, engineering. First of all, I really wanted to speak better English. And then I also like, you know, in France, so I wanted to study engineering. And in France, when you study engineering, the system is kind of, it's, uh, it's very theoretical for like two or three years. I wanted to do something that was a bit more practical. And in the UK, it's um, the way they teach engineering is more practical. So that's why I decided to go to, to and study in the UK. According to the Women's Engineering Society, only 12% of engineers are female. And attracting female talent, let alone retaining it to the engineering sector, remains a significant challenge. Bias and misconceptions from an early age often mean engineering is one of those careers that becomes rooted in children's heads as a boy job, which is wholly untrue, but pervasive nonetheless. So talk to me about uh, studying engineering. What sort of engineering were you doing and how did you find studying at uni? How many girls were there? Talk to me about that, Josephine. Yeah, so I studied, um, so the course I was studying was um, called engineering science. So it was quite broad. And then, so the first two years were quite um, general. Uh, And then in the third, fourth, uh, third and fourth year, you could choose and specialize. And so I specialized in mechanical and civil engineering. Okay. And um, yeah, so there were quite a lot of, you know, majority of guys, but that was never something, it was never something that either, you know, when I was applying to the course, like it wasn't something that crossed my mind. I wasn't like, oh my God, should I apply? Because there's not going to be many, many girls. And when I was in the course, it was never something that was like, where I, I never felt at a disadvantage because there were um, less girls. Like I would say it's almost the opposite. Like I actually, you know, felt like we, like the girls in the court, that we would get more attention from, from the professors or the teachers. I thought it was really interesting that Josephine viewed her uniqueness as a female on her course as a strength and not a weakness, and that she felt there were some advantages to that position. If you're the only woman in the room, being distinctive and making your voice heard, difficult though it may be, can really get you noticed whatever job you do. Whilst increasing female representation is undoubtedly vital in traditional male industries, in the short term, if you find yourself outnumbered, adjusting your mindset to look at the positives may reap you dividends. So after you finished your engineering degree, you then went on to work in the oil and gas sector. I'm really interested to hear about life on the North Sea oil rigs as well, Josephine. Um, that, how, what sort of job were you doing there and, and um, how, how did that kind of kickstart your career? Mm. Yeah, so it was quite funny because, um, you know, most people who work in that sector, they have like, either they have parents who've worked in that sector before, or they went to university in, you know, in Aberdeen or like somewhere where the oil industry is quite strong. So they've kind of like planned to go and work in the oil and gas industry. Like for me, that it was never really the plan. Like when I, when I started my engineering degree, um, my plan was to work in the sports industry and uh, design, you know, become a design engineer to help design high tech sporting equipment. Because I've always, as I said before, I was, always had this passion for sports and I wanted to kind of combine engineering and sports. But then um, towards the end of my degree, you know, like in, in your last year, like you always have companies who come to the university campus and they present. The you know, they like, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. And like, yeah, with my friends, we used to go to all of them because you usually get free food. And you know, as, a, <laughs> as a student, like you look for every opportunity to get. Oh my God, always, always. Yeah. <laughs> free food, free drinks. Yes, for sure. Exactly. So kind of by chance, we went to one um, that was by um, BP, which is the company I 
I actually ended up working for. And so the guy giving the presentation, he um, he had a really cool like slide pack with some really amazing pictures about oil rigs in the middle of the North Sea. And the pictures just looked really um, quite cool. And I was like, oh, it would, it would be quite quite an adventure to like, go and live on one of those platforms. Uh, and so I just applied because I thought it, it looked good. And so I ended up doing an internship there and then um, starting to work there, you know, in the graduate program the following year. And in my, so the the way the graduate program is structured there is that you spend your first year offshore. And um, yeah, it was, honestly, it was a, an amazing experience because it's just completely unlike anything, you know, you've, really done before because you're you're basically living on the on the rig in the middle of the North Sea for two to three weeks at a time. And again, you know, we're talking before about studying engineering, which is a kind of male dominated course. Like this, you know, living on the platform, usually there's 120 to 130 people on the rig. And maybe it was kind of varying, but usually there were between two to maximum 10 women offshore. Wow, so, okay. Yeah, definitely male-dominated. And um, there you you just have to, you know, most people who, who work offshore, um, they've kind of, they've left school, started working offshore and worked their way up and they're super experienced and they know so much about, you know, this industry and how everything works. And if you arrive there, you know, whether you're a girl or a guy, if, if you arrive on the rig as a kind of, new graduate and you pretend that you know everything you're not gonna it's not gonna go well for you and you're not gonna <laughs> have a good time but if you you know really take the attitude that you know you want to learn from from everyone who's been there for so long and then everyone is just so ready to help and because you you don't just work together but you live together you really get to know people well and um yeah there's this real I found that it was almost like a yeah community, and because you you're so remote and everyone's far from their family, like you just bond much better than you would uh, in the office. And yeah, and I also found that being a girl there like was again not at all a disadvantage, and I found it to be a, an advantage. And found a lot of guys who actually it's quite funny. Like once they got to know me, they they would start to to ask me questions about you know their teenage girl who was starting to go out and how should they like what should they do and I was like I don't know I'm not a mother <laughs> but it was funny you know they start to share personal things as well yeah, yeah yeah and I'm just really interested about what it's actually like living on the rig I kind of as someone who's never been to an oil rig I've I've seen them out in the sea like you know just kind of stuck out in the ocean like is it is it sort of a bit like living on a boat or like how, how how would you describe kind of day-to-day living there? Like what what have you got facilities-wise and what's it like kind of living accommodation and stuff like that? So basically you've got the accommodation quarter, which is usually like a kind of like a block of containers. And in there you've got the, the living quarter. So that's where you've got uh, the, the rooms. And then you've got uh, the, the offices. And then you've got... Um, the galley, so where, where you're eating, where you're having your your meals, um, and usually there's always uh, usually there's a gym, and maybe like some rigs also have a, a, a cinema room. Oh blimey! And, okay. Yeah, and then um, yeah, so that's kind of like the living quarter, and then you've got the outside bid, which is where all the drilling operations and the rig operations are happening. It's easy to sort of think, oh, you're stuck on a platform for like. For two to three weeks how do you not go completely crazy and in my head it's kind of a bit the same as like people you know guys on submarine crew or something like that where you're kind of in a confined space with people I'm sure it's not that small at all but like it's kind of just conjuring up this image of like how do you spend your time like how do you not go completely crazy not being able to go places you know it is it is very small and like it is quite um you know you're always with people and I always found like when I was coming off the rig, and I, I'm quite an introvert. Uh, I mean, I love you know chatting to people and, and meeting new people, but I always noticed like after three weeks on the rig, I always needed like a few days of just recharging and like being oh, yeah. with no one. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, I, but the other thing is, when you're offshore, you basically just work like all the time, so you don't, you're never bored because 
you, you kind of get on the rig and you're suddenly in this like bubble that's completely cut off the real world and you just focus on your work and then sometimes you get you have time to go to the gym or stuff like that but you it's not like you're like oh my god what should I do like you're just you're just busy after four and a half years working in the oil and gas industry, both offshore on the rigs and onshore in various offices, Josephine took the major decision to quit her job and pursue an adventure she had been considering for some months, to run the length of New Zealand. So tell me how you kind of went about making that plan and taking the sort of big step um, to, to leave the career you were in at that point, because that's a pretty, that's a big move to kind of give up your job and go and make a you know, do a huge adventure, which is amazing, by the way. Yeah, it was it was a big move, and it it wasn't. I mean, it took a long time to to actually, you know, do it. Like from the time, from the kind of idea popping into my head and actually making the move, it took quite a few months. So basically, so I'd been working offshore and like as a as a drilling engineer, and initially, you know, I mean, I loved I loved my job for like quite a while. I really loved it. And I, I always saw myself kind of staying in that industry and in that same company for, you know, the rest of my career. But for some reason, I always, I tend to, after a while to just get bored with things. Mm, <laughs> and, um, <me> too. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I used to give myself a hard time for it, but now I'm like, well, it's just, you know, just the way I am. And, um, so I, I really love my job. And I think, you know, I was doing quite well, actually. I mean, I don't want this to sound arrogant or something, but I... No, no, you should applaud your achievements. There is no arrogance about it. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing quite well at my job. And so I knew that if I stayed in that job, I, it was a very secure um, career path and, you know, I'd get paid well and um, I would probably have a very interesting career. And I, I also loved the people I was working with and I had some amazing mentors. Um, but I kind of... I mentioned before that I'd always had this like passion for sports and adventure and really pushing myself um, physically and going out there and ex exploring new places. And when I was working in the oil industry, I'm, I'm a bit of a like all or nothing person. I was really working like pretty hard and I was, I think I wasn't doing much outside work in terms of like adventures or, and then I remember, I think it was in around like, you know, Christmas, new year period. And, um, I was watching the movie, uh, is it called Wild? A Wild, yeah, yeah, the one with Reese Witherspoon. I don't know why, but that, I watched that movie and I was like, I, I just want to go and, and do something, like go on a, on a big adventure. And then, but that, that was just kind of, I watched it and then, you know, went back to work and didn't really think about it. But then it kept, you know, sometimes when you have this idea and it just keeps coming back to your mind and you just can't get rid of it. And um, the other thing was I was kind of, a bit scared because I didn't really know what I would do afterwards. So I actually started working with a with a career coach at that point to try and really figure out like what do I actually want to achieve in my career and am I just in this job because I've kind of fallen into it or is this where I want to continue? You know, I, I just like worked with a coach to help me figure all of that out and that was super, super helpful. Mm -hmm. And then I decided that I wanted to ask um, my uh, my boss for a sabbatical, you know, to go off and do the adventure, uh, then come back. But because they were like laying off people, because of the environment that at the time, like in the oil industry, that wasn't possible. Mm -hmm. So I basically decided to, I decided to leave because, you know, I knew that if I didn't do it, I would regret it. So, yeah, I decided to leave. And um, another thing that was quite challenging and that I didn't really expect to be challenging was actually telling my family and friends about it uh, it's funny because you, you'd think that that would be the easy part but I actually found that to be one of the hardest parts because I'd just gotten like with my husband we'd, we'd just got married uh, and then maybe a month or two months later I quit my job to go to New Zealand by myself oh my gosh <laughs> and, you know we'd, we'd spoken about this with my husband for quite a long time and we'd been, you know, before getting married, we'd been together for, for quite a few years. And he, he's, he's amazing. He's always been, like, super supportive for that sort of stuff. And initially, we also discussed uh, to do it together. But then he, he kind of said, you know what, like, it's not something I want to do that much. And I think if I come and do it with you, I'm just going to ruin it for you because I won't really enjoy it that much. You know, so, and, you know, I'm, I'm so glad about how, you know, supportive 
he he was. But like when when we announced it, or when I you know when I told my my friends and family about it, everyone thought that we had some problem in our yeah, of course. <laughs> so I was leaving, but so and and um, my mother actually was she really didn't understand my choice. Like she she doesn't have the same sort of passion for the outdoors, and she. Uh, she just really didn't understand it, and for quite a while, it really uh, had a bad impact on our relationship. So, you know, that was actually the hardest part um, when I decided to leave. It's very interesting that there's that kind of it's seen as a little bit shameful, and this is something I've talked about before with other people on the podcast who've left careers that are, um, you know, perceived and on paper and 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 probably are, you know, very very good careers you know that they're well paid they've got security you know you're kind of seen as being a successful professional and the kind of um misunderstandings around people's reasons for leaving a job like that can often create those um kind of rifts that you that you mention or you know and and actually the sort of telling of people I think is really difficult you know acknowledging that you want to give up something that everyone else perceives to be kind of perfect, quote unquote, the the kind of feelings of failure around that and shame and it just makes that very complicated, I think. And the more that you talk about that and open it up to be not something that's a failure, but actually it's just a new adventure and a new opportunity is the more we talk about that, the better really. Yeah, exactly. And like the other thing that I found difficult was because in my job, I'd, I'd always had, as I mentioned, I'd always had really good uh, mentors and um i felt like a lot of them had given up so much of their time and they'd done so much to help me in my career that i almost felt guilty when i quit because i i felt like i was letting them down as well but then afterwards i realized that that's not the case like they're not you know they were actually you know happy for me and i've maintained the relationship with quite a few of them you know so yeah there's sometimes you you think something is an issue as well, and it actually isn't. So you'd had this idea about um, going to New Zealand. Tell me about the kind of idea that you'd had and how you went about putting that plan into action. Yeah, so yeah. So basically I had this idea. Initially the idea was to do a, you know, a, a very, like a long hike, basically. Either hike or run, like something on foot. And um like initially my idea was to run across Japan because I've always, yeah, I've always sort of been attracted to Japan because my parents lived in Japan just before I was born. And, um, yeah, for some reason, like, I just, I also really like the, you know, their pro like the life philosophy and the kind of minimalist and Zen approach to life. So that was my idea initially, but then I kind of looked into different, um, hiking and running trails and and i came across the new zealand uh Tierora trail which is basically a trail that goes all across new zealand and i'd never been to new zealand and it looked it just looked stunning and um so i decided to go for that basically <laughs> and um so the way i went about the the planning was that so once i handed in my notice at work i had a three months notice period um so that was it was quite good because I decided to to start it at the end of my notice period, which, you know, it was good to have this short kind of time frame because otherwise you can just keep on planning forever. Yeah. So in terms of like the physical preparation, because initially like my plan was to run the entire way. So in terms of physical preparation, that wasn't actually the hardest because I, I was quite, you know, fit. Like I've always had quite a strong endurance base because I've always done like you know, long distance uh, sports and events. So, so that was, I wasn't too worried about that part. Uh, but then there was um, the whole sort of logistics aspects around, you know, getting the right gear. And because I was running it, I wanted to make sure it was as light as possible. But I also wanted to make sure I was safe, you know, because in, in New Zealand, especially in the South Island, there's big stretches where you're kind of in the middle of nowhere, uh, not close to any town so you, you know you need to be able to be self-sufficient so yeah there's the whole sort of gear aspect that I that I looked into and then in terms of route planning it wasn't very difficult because as I mentioned there's this the Tierra Trail which is 
a trade that actually established and exactly yeah, yeah. yeah. So on, they have a website as well with, um, you know, with information about the route. And so that was quite, uh, yeah, it wasn't too challenging. And uh, yeah, then there was all the, you know, things around like flights and visas, all of that. But I love planning. Like I'm a, you know, being a, an engineer, I just love uh, spreadsheets and <laughs> planning things. So I actually really enjoyed the the whole planning thing. Cool. Um, and how long, how long did that, how long did you think it was going to take you? And how long did it take you in the end? So I gave myself uh, four months to be out there. Okay. Okay. That's a long time to be away from your husband doing that then. Yeah. But he came, uh, so I started in, I don't remember the exact date, but it was like, uh, in November, some point in November, and he actually came, um, you know, over Christmas and New Year. So he took three weeks off and then came. So that was great because it meant that I knew, like, in the middle, you know, I'd see him and we would spend that time together. So and did he hike was... with you on those days when he was there? Did he? Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. he did. Yeah. Okay, okay. And we realized, I mean, it was amazing to spend that time together, but we also realized that it was a good thing that he hadn't quit his job to do the whole <laughs> thing because he uh, <laughs> he likes being outdoors, but he also likes his comfort we had a few kind of um uh, arguments or like little clashes but uh but but it was amazing to spend that time together and it was also great for him to really be part of the journey for a bit so he could really relate to you know afterwards when I came home he kind of knew you know he knew what my routine looked like and he that, I mean it was it was really great that he came so cool and that must have been just a huge so how far did you go in total because that must have been a huge achievement to just get to the end amazing yeah so in the end I did so 3,000 kilometers in 100 days wow and so that includes like you know rest days and days where I wasn't hiking and you know what's quite funny is that initially so my plan when I when I left was to run the whole thing but then um towards the end so I started in the very north um and went uh, went south and Towards the end of the um, North Island, I actually got um, a knee injury and also like some like a tendonitis in my in my um, ankle, and so for for quite a while I wasn't able to run. Like I was hiking bits because like running was just painful, and it was I saw a physio there and he was saying if you continue to run on it, you you're gonna injure yourself and you may have to like stop and you may not be able to finish, and. Because, you know, I told myself I wanted to run it, but no one, it's not as if I'd like signed an official contract with someone that I was going to run it. But still, I was for like quite a few, you know, quite a while I was giving myself such a hard time for not running. And until I realized, you know, after like speaking on my phone, on the phone with my husband and friends, I realized that, you know, no one cares. And it's, if you just give yourself a hard time, you then I was just like not enjoying that whole journey. And um, it, that was that was a really interesting process for me to go through actually mentally to try and understand why did I want to run it so bad? Like, you know, why was I putting that pressure on myself? And that was actually really interesting to just like as a, as a process to go through. And why do you think it, why do you think you were desperate to run it so much? Did you feel that that would be more of an achievement or? Yeah. Exactly. I almost felt like, so when I left my job, you know, in the, in the oil industry, I almost, because I didn't have another job, like another kind of like, quote unquote, like fancy or like impressive job lined up for afterwards, I almost felt like I had to go and do something that was, that looked like it was worth it. And if I just said, I'm going to hike across New Zealand, it's like, well, whatever, like, you know, that's a bit boring. <laughs> like, so I almost felt like, yeah, I had to do something that was very impressive and um and I, I yeah just put that pressure on myself and I felt like if I didn't achieve that then the whole thing would be a failure but then I slowly realized that it wasn't about the achievement it was also about the journey and the people I met along the way and you know initially yeah. exactly and when I started off and when I was really like running and like at the very start I had a in my head, I always had this like number of kilometers I wanted to make sure I did every day. And, and because of that, like sometimes I would like meet people, but and they were super nice and we were having a chat, but then I would always be like, oh, sorry, but I have to keep going because I'm, I'm running. And so I was kind of like missing out on the best 
parts of the train, which is like, you know, the people you meet and... And spending time walking and talking with people. Exactly, yeah. So it was really good afterwards, once I let go of that pressure. I was still, you know, because after, you know, a couple of weeks, like my knee and ankle felt much better. And so I was still able to like run um, big chunks of it. But if I did meet someone who I got on with really well and I wanted to hike with them or if they were, you know, if I met people who were stopping early to camp and I wanted to stay with them, then I wouldn't give myself a half time. I'd just like do it. And yeah, it kind of changed the way I was, I was um, approaching the journey. And how do you think the experiences that you had on that trail and completing that adventure, Josephine, affected or influenced what you chose to do next with your career? Yeah, it, it did. It did have quite a, quite a big impact. So first of all, it made, made me realize that, you know, adventure and the outdoors are so important to me. And that's really where I feel, you know, really where I feel myself. And I realized that for quite a few years, like, um, you know, during university and when I was working in the oil industry, like I I'd kind of like neglected that part of uh, uh, and that passion. And so I realized that it was really important to me. And even even if I wasn't going to be like a, you know, I didn't want to be a, a full-time adventurer or something. But I knew that I had to design my career and my life in a way that would allow me to to have enough adventure and outdoor time. Um, and then the other thing, like a few other things that I realized was that, um, you know, with any, like I just realized that if there was anything I really wanted to do, even if I was scared about it or even if I felt kind of the fear, as long as I just approached it you know with a kind of step-by-step approach and just try to do something every day to get get closer to my goal then I could do it um and um yeah and that's that's been really helpful in a lot of projects that I've um that I've done after after New Zealand whether it's work related or, or training wise or yeah and yeah and I think another thing as well is just a better Another thing I learned, I just gained a better understanding of, of myself and it made me realize that I love meeting people and chatting to people sort of one-on-one and, you know, really getting to know people, but that I also need moments uh, of solitude and moments where I'm just by myself and that, that that's okay because I think quite often in, in our society, like, we look at that as a bad thing. Like, mm. <laughs> you know, you have to be like the person with uh loads of friends around you all the time and you have to organize dinner parties with you know if there's not at least 20 people then you're not very popular and you know i think i i just recognize that it's also okay to sometimes take the time it's not selfish to take the time to be by yourself or to just do things in like smaller groups so mm. i think that's a really pertinent point because i think a lot of people would put that pressure on themselves that they have to be so social and have loads of friends and seem really popular and you've got to do what's right for you and if you're a bit of an introvert like you say and you prefer to be in the company of just a small number of people or even just like your own company then that's fine isn't it you know like everybody's different so um let's talk quickly about you obviously moved into then strategy consulting and doing an MBA um how did you choose you obviously went to work for Deloitte, as you mentioned. How did you choose to go into consulting? Like, what was your thinking behind that? Because obviously that is a very different sphere than being an engineer. Yeah. Yeah. So at the end of, uh, so when I was an engineer, I actually realized, especially towards the end, that what I loved the most wasn't really the kind of very techy engineering aspect of the job, but more the business aspect and the project management aspect. Because when you're a drilling engineer, you actually you're managing, you know, the design and operation for, for like drilling a, an oil well. And that's, it's very business orientated as well. And so I actually really liked that aspect and I had a really amazing mentor and he, you know, he knew that. And so he always gave me some really cool projects to work on that were more kind of business strategy related. Uh, but then after New Zealand, my plan was actually to go and work, you know, in a company in the sports industry more kind of on the project management strategy. 
but every time I applied, they always said, uh, oh yeah, but you don't have a, you don't have business experience. And I, even if I was trying to, when I was trying to explain to them that what I did, what I did before, even though my title was engineer, it was actually, you know, I learned a lot of things about strategy and business that, that wasn't really convincing enough for them. So that's why I decided that I would go into strategy consulting for a bit because in strategy consulting, they often take on engineers. And I know, you know, once you've got some experience in a strategy consulting firm, then it's easier to transition into, you know, more like business oriented role. So that, that was why I actually, um, uh, went and worked for Deloitte and yeah, it was super like, again, like some of the projects were really interesting and it's when you work in consulting, it's very varied and you get involved in some, some cool projects. So as some aspects of it were great, but I didn't, I felt like I didn't really fit into the culture that way. Um, and I just come back to like, you know, when I started that job, I just come back from literally like for almost four months being in the middle of nowhere. And like, it was quite, quite a hard transition actually to go from complete wilderness to like an office. Josephine's work in strategy consulting was in Luxembourg. But after a short while there, her husband was offered a new project in Jakarta, Indonesia, and she made the decision to move there with him. I really felt from chatting to Josephine that she is a woman that embraces change, someone who makes the uncertain and the unknown her friend, and who has a positive attitude towards all new opportunities. I love this quality in people. When we moved to Indonesia, I um, actually came across this program, which was an MBA, but specialized in sports management. And it was run by a a university in Spain, but I could do it remotely. So it was basically perfect. So I signed up to that and um, I I did that program, which was amazing. And at the end of the program, you had to do an internship. So I did that with a sports marketing startup in Spain, in Girona for three months. And that was last summer. And, um, and after, after that, I worked, I basically did some freelance projects in, in the sports marketing sector, mainly with, with startups. And then earlier this year, I decided that I wanted to, um, start my own company. Um, and so, yeah, that's what I've been doing for the last few months. So this is exciting. I, I want to hear about your new company. So tell me what's it called and, or tell everybody what it's called and what you do for your new startup. Yeah, so um, basically the company is called OutVenture Hub, and um, it's um, basically it's a platform that's dedicated to helping small businesses and startups in the outdoor sports sector to uh, nail their marketing strategy so that they can attract more customers and increase their revenue and have a greater impact and ultimately be successful in the long run. You know, I, I started this business uh, for a few different reasons, but for a number of years now, I've been involved in quite a few kind of outdoor adventure communities. And I kept hearing people who were like starting a business in the adventure or outdoor sports sector because they're really passionate about this sector. Um, so, and they're always like really enthusiastic at the beginning, but because most of them don't have a business background or like a marketing background, a lot of them were then really struggling to find customers and build a solid client base. And then, basically after a few years or sometimes even after a few months, they'd have to quit and go back to, to a job they didn't really like and give up on their dream to, you know, have their own business in the adventure um, sector. And so basically I decided that I wanted to help these kind of these entrepreneurs who are driven by their passion for the outdoors. Um, and I wanted to help them to, you know, find customers and be really successful in the long run. And I realized that that was really a, a, an amazing opportunity to combine you know, my experience that I'd gained in strategy consulting and in sports marketing with my knowledge and with my passion for the outdoor um, endurance sports sector. And so, yeah, and that's, that's how the business was basically born. So it's just by combining loads of things I've been doing over the last few years. And how has it been? Uh, obviously, you've worked in a couple of pretty big corporate companies. How has it been transitioning into... Uh, running your own business because I, I always think that's a huge thing that when you suddenly then launch your own business you know you've got to learn 
all about, you know, like sales, marketing, social media, accounting, you know, ordering, all these kinds of things that you then you suddenly think, oh my God, there used to be an HR department for that or a finance department for that or whatever, <laughs> you know, like um, how have you found the transition? And also, I guess, working solo, you know, you're working from home in Jakarta, presumably. And, and you know, how has that been compared to the previous careers that you've had, Josephine? Yeah, so, I mean, it definitely makes you realize all the people who are behind the scene, you know, when you work mm-hmm. in a big corporate, like, <laughs> or even like, you know, the IT department who you can just ring when you're... Yeah, of course. <laughs> but yeah, I would say there's been, I mean, there's been a lot of things I love and like, really positive points. And then there's also been things that are quite difficult. So the, the positives, I would say, are actually what you just mentioned, like being able to do all these different things. Because I love um, having a very varied um, work schedule and like doing loads of different things. And so it's been great to being able to, you know, do some like strategy to think about like the vision for my business and how I'm going to achieve the different goals that I set for myself. Uh, But then also like doing the marketing and how can I, how do I actually reach more customers? And then the more sort of creative aspect of, you know, designing all the designing and creating the content uh, for the brand. And then also, you know, finance and admin accounting so that's maybe not as exciting, but it's still, you know, quite interesting. So I've I've loved that variety. Um, but uh, things that like one thing that is has been quite hard, which I didn't expect, is, you know, when you've got a corporate job, you constantly get feedback from you know bo- from your boss or mm, for, mm. and you kind of know when you're doing well or when you're not doing well, and when you work for yourself, like suddenly you don't get that feedback and it can be quite hard because if, especially at the very beginning, if you don't get the response you're expecting when you put something out there, straight away you think, oh my God, it must be really rubbish. And then you give yourself a hard time and it's hard to sometimes step, you know, step away and take a bit of distance. And um, yeah, so that's, that's been, uh, that's been quite hard. And then the, the other thing as well is, especially, so right now it's just me and my business. So, you know, I'm also like the face of my business. That's been quite difficult as well because, yeah, yeah you know, when you put something out there, you, it's quite, suddenly quite personal. You know, it's not like when you work for a big like corporate and you're kind of behind that image of like suddenly it's you. And even though like you've got your business and the brand name, like it's still, it's you basically. And so if something doesn't get the traction that you expect, then you think it's because you're not good enough. Setting up a new business is hard and there are undoubtedly difficulties to be faced, particularly when you're living overseas. But a few months before launching the OutVenture Hub, Josephine joined a professional mastermind with seven other early stage entrepreneurs at the same stage as her. If you'd never heard of a mastermind before, and I hadn't either, the idea is to support one another, to bounce ideas around between like-minded people, and to therefore help new businesswomen make a success of their fledgling venture. Being a solo business owner can be lonely, and this group has proved invaluable to Josephine. Whether it's a mastermind or, you know, in-person group or, or an accountability partner, I think you need something like that when you start. But yeah, overall, it's been super exciting and I mean, what I love is just, you know, when you see the impact you can have on people, it's just so rewarding. And that's what I love the most. Like when, I, when you can actually add value to, to a business or, or to an individual to help them kind of reach their business goals. That's amazing. Definitely. So what's next for you? Like what's your kind of future plans, Josephine? I'm really interested in like where you envisage your business going. I'm in Jakarta at the moment, but, you know, in a few years or in a couple of years, we're going to move back to Europe. And uh, when we move back, um, I actually want to make Adventure Hub not just a kind of online platform, but to make it a, a physical space where, and I don't know exactly what it will look like yet, but probably something like maybe a co-working space or basically a space for entrepreneurs um, and startup founders in the outdoor sports and an adventure sector to for them to meet and exchange ideas and maybe you know start to collaborate on projects and maybe it would be a space where you know could invite in like experts to give workshops and so I want it to be because 
yeah, I just think there's, even though like technology is amazing and you can do a lot of stuff remotely nowadays, I think the, nothing you know, quite the, beats meeting up, does yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. definitely. So, <laughs> and, and I want, I want this to become, you know, to kind of foster community and like, so yeah, so that's, that's my sort of vision for it. Like, in the long term but. sounds cool that's amazing um, I'm so thrilled that you're that things are going well and that you know it's kind of it's really cool to have set up something quite different you know it's quite a niche it's a very novel business it's very new you know and you kind of the whole area of like outdoor adventuring has just become this kind of massive industry within the last kind of five to ten years in a way that it wasn't really before and I think you have really got a niche there Josephine that is going to make your business super successful I'm sure so and just finally I'm particularly interested in people's mistakes and failures have you had any of those kind of as you've been setting up that you've really learned from mistakes oh I've had loads of mistakes <laughs> um, it's difficult because like I mean I've definitely made loads of mistakes and learned from many things but then I'm also happy I made those mistakes but I would say that you know because I think you you learn something from from every mistake you you make but I would say that one mistake I probably made was when I was, and it was back, you know, at the end of uh, secondary school when I was choosing what to study at university. Like, I had so many things I really wanted to study and I was quite passionate about, but when I was deciding on, on what to study, I kind of listened to the, you know, sensible adults in my life. And I, I decided to go to, for engineering because um, everyone was saying, like, uh, yeah, if you study engineering, you'll definitely be able to find a job. And I wanted to, at that time, I wanted to study like marine biology or journalism. But, you know, I kept being told, oh, no, it's too risky. You won't find a job if you do that. And, you know, I think it was a mistake to not really think more about exactly what I wanted to study based on my real interests and passions and, you know, be quite sensible. But but then having said that, like, I'm not, I don't regret having studied engineering because, you know, it did teach me a huge amount of things about, you know, how to problem solve and apply systems. And it meant that I got to live on oil rigs and I got to meet my husband. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm not, I don't uh, regret it at all, but it's, I would say that's probably a mistake, just not really thinking about what I really wanted to do when I decided what to study. Hmm. That's such an interesting one that of everything you've done, that's what you picked. Because I think you hear that so often, don't you? Kind of this whole thing of like following what you're interested in and, and not worrying too much. You know, I was the same as you, like I went into quite a professional degree and the point at which you say, oh, I don't know if this might be for me or not. Everybody goes, oh yeah, of course it will be. Like it's a good solid career. Yeah. You know? Like exactly. it's kind of quite tempting, isn't it? To just be very swayed by the prospect of a stable job and that's totally understandable but at the same time I guess following what you're really interested in is is going to be the way to having a job that provides you with fulfillment and, and happiness yeah and you're just going to be more I mean I remember when I was studying engineering I had an amazing time at university because like the people I study like you know people are amazing but um you know, I was never like, oh, yes, I'm super excited today to learn about stress fractures in metals. <laughs> like, you know, but I see other people, like, for example, my sister, my younger sister now, she's studying medicine and she's actually very, very passionate about the, the subject. And it's just amazing to see how she's just so interested about everything she's learning. And, you know, it makes a big difference when you study something that you, you're really passionate about. You know, I definitely had like down moments, you know, um, like between like when coming back from New Zealand when I was applying for jobs and then also like last year when I was my when I was doing the MBA and starting to think about what I would do after the MBA like and then you know I had these like kind of identity crisis moments where especially when people you go to like a dinner party or something and people ask you oh uh, people always ask what do you do and especially at that time when I was doing kind of like freelance work but I didn't really have a proper like job title and I was finding it really hard and I was like, um, it made me feel really uncomfortable when people were asking me that question because I thought they would think I'm just like a slacker and I'm not doing anything <laughs> just because you don't have like a, a fancy like job title from a 
a big company, you know. Well, now you can say, I've got my own business. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you want my business card. <laughs> One final thought from Josephine on the trajectory of a career. We spent ages further chatting about our own lives, about the stigma and shame associated with leaving a settled profession, and about how explaining to others that you're no longer an engineer or a hairdresser or a strategy consultant or a teacher or a whatever is hard, and that maybe you just don't quite know where you're at right now. That's okay, even if other people don't get it. It's not as if everything you've done prior is completely lost. And that's, that I only realized that quite recently with my business, but just everything I've done since university sort of like now, you know, helps me in my business. And it's only like a few months ago where suddenly it felt like everything was kind of like slotting into place. And suddenly I realized that everything I'd done so far, I'd done it for a reason and it's helping me to be where I am right now. I really appreciated Josephine's honesty and openness in this conversation. Thank you to her for being her true self and for chatting about her career with me this week. You can find her online at outventurehub.com and she's most active on Instagram at Josephine Anselin. We'll be back next week with another wonderful guest, Gloria Mitchell, who talks to me about her rise from homelessness to the career she has today. But that's all for this week. If you enjoyed this episode, please just share it wherever you can on your own social media. And if you found the podcast interesting or useful, then do please tell a friend as we are always keen for new listeners. If you'd like to rate and review the podcast on iTunes, then I would love you very much as it helps others to find us. Otherwise, see you next time.